Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I have asked this semester that uh, we're going to once a month, one of our pastors is going to share the Word with you. And so one month we're going to have Pastor Bethany, one month we're going to have Pastor Dave, one month we're going to have Pastor Crystal. And, uh, and so you're going to be hearing from different of our pastors between now and Christmas. And today, uh, in just a moment, Pastor Bethany's going to come and share the Word with you. She's been hanging out with us for, what, a month, five, six weeks, something like that. And uh, many of you have already come to me privately and told me, you know, Pastor, she's the real deal. Like, she's got the goods. And she does. Part of, part of Megan and I's conversation all the time is that we are so blessed and thankful that God allowed us to have uh, the ministry of Pastor Bethany Strawn as part of our team. And I want to say uh, thank you for welcoming her. Someone said this morning, she walked in and acts like she's been here forever and she owns the place and making things happen. They said, and that's a good thing. So would you help me welcome Pastor Bethany? She comes to break the word of God, the bread of life with us today. Oh, it is so good to be here with my church family. I love getting the opportunity to preach anytime and anywhere, but it's just, it's just more special when you get to be with the people that you serve with every week, um, the people that you worship alongside with every week. So I just, I don't ever take this moment for granted ever, but it's just more special in, in this type of opportunity. So thank you so much for letting me be a part of your your church. You have welcomed me with open arms. You have been so kind and gracious, and you helped unload the moving van, move me in my house, hang shelves on my wall. You have been checking on me, praying for me, which is so valuable to me. Um, and so I just can't say thank you enough. Um, it's always a little scary to move to a new church and to move to a new town, but um, I've just felt the hand of God on this transition so strongly. So um, I just say thank you so much. I also want to say thank you to um, Pastor Greg, Pastor Megan, for giving me this opportunity not only to serve with you, but also to um, stand in the pulpit. It's an honor. It's always an honor. And so thank you so much. Um, and then also I've got some friends who are more like family here today, and they came from Mountain Home and Russellville. And so I just got to say thank you guys. I am a community girl. I am a friends and family girl. And so relationships are a big deal to me. That's something you need to know about me just, I like people. Um, and so I am just so thankful for the people that God has planted in my life in the past, but also for the people that, um, that God is bringing me in the present. So I just thank you for being, um, being in my circle. So before we get started with this message, will you help me pray and ask the Lord to get our hearts ready to share what he wants to speak to our, our situations, our lives. I've asked the Lord to take this, this word, it's his word, so I know it's good, but to, to make me the, uh, the deliverer anointed, I need that, but also just to take this word and to divide it in every way that we need today. 
everybody sits with a different situation from a different perspective in a different season. And I just want him to take the word and to divide it in all the ways that we need it today. So church, would you pray that that would happen? Lord, we love you so much. We thank, we thank you, God, for being in this room, Jesus. This is... Um, it's a big deal. God, you always show up, but Lord, we don't always notice that you're around us whenever you are, and you are. So we just take this moment to open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears and our hearts right now, God, and we thank you that you are going to speak a word to our hearts. I pray that you would take this word and make it what everyone needs, Lord, for this season, God, for this struggle, wherever they find themselves in this journey, Lord, I thank you, God, that you are speaking to that today, God. Lord, we welcome your voice. I go ahead and step out of the way and let your spirit just move today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Now, one other thing you need to know about me is I have worked with kids and teenagers for the past 15 years, so I am used to a little talking back, okay? So um, if you have a hanky, you want to wave in the air when you feel like Jesus is speaking to your heart, do it, all right? If you want to say amen or preach that, I am totally open to that, um, but I'm used to a little feedback, and so I'm going to ask you a question, and you can answer out loud. I'm going to list a series of events, and I want to see if you can figure out the thing that is the common factor of these moments. Here they are. Graduation day. It's coming, seniors. Class of 2024, it's coming. Graduation day. Uh, sweet 16. Anybody turning 16 this year? Anybody remember when they turned 16? Sweet 16. How about this? Wedding day. Anybody got a wedding day they remember? All right. How about this? We take a little turn. A loved one's funeral. First day on a new job. Here's another moment. A breakup. The birth of your first child. I want you to think about all of those events and think what they have in common. Did you figure out that they are defining moments? They are defining moments. These are the moments that matter. So whenever I was researching for this message in this series, I learned something that I hadn't known before, and I am a nerd. I embrace it. I love learning things that no one else cares about. And when I get to preach, I get to share those with you, and you have to listen. At least you have to act like you listen. So I'm ready to share an unknown fact, or well, at least it was unknown to me, with you about something. Did you know that each year holds approximately 31 million seconds. So I want you to take that number, 31 million. I want you to think about how old you are. So, and multiply 31 million by your age. And that is the number of seconds that you have been on this planet. Now, some of you are doing this math in your head. Some of you are doing it on your calculator. That's what I would be doing. And some of you are feeling really old right now because you see that number and it just keeps going on your screen. Whatever your number of seconds lived is, the truth is that we usually don't remember most of them, right? But defining moments, we remember those because they mark us for life. These are the moments that shape us. Now, I might not remember what I ate for breakfast last Tuesday, but I still remember the outfit 
that I wore on my first day of my senior year of high school. I still remember that. Why? Because senior year was a defining moment. It was a defining moment. Defining moments move us from one era of life to the next one. These are pivotal moments. These are hinge moments. These are the moments that lay out the course for the life that we live. So over the next few moments, or over, over the next few weeks, our staff will be speaking on defining moments, like Pastor Greg shared earlier. We'll be sharing some of our own personal moments, as well as defining moments from Scripture that have shaped us. Now, if you were to ask my mom, what is a defining moment in your daughter's life, in Bethany's life? She would tell you, without thinking, it was the trust fall story. That's the defining moment in her life. Um, my mom, who was also my kid's pastor at the time, convinced me, her daughter, to demonstrate what it is like to trust God through demonstrating a trust fall. How many of you know what a trust fall is? For those of you who don't, um, maybe you're not familiar, it's simple. It's simple. You just fall back and someone is supposed to catch you. Um, now, it took some convincing from my mom to get me to do that because I am no fool. I know what can happen. I know what can happen. But I finally agreed, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. As, an, as a seven-year-old, use me, God. So my mom gave me these specific instructions. She pulled me back behind the stage and she said, listen, I'm going to pull you up on stage when it's time to do this object lesson for our kids lesson. And what I want you to do is I want you to stand on the stage. And when you hear the code word, okay, I want you just to fall back. And I, your loving mother, I'm going to catch you. My arms are going to be there to catch you. So she brought me on stage in front of what felt like thousands of kids. And before she got started to get everyone's attention, she looked at the crowd and she said, okay. She said the code word. And so I, standing on stage, fell back. She did not catch me. Um, obviously, I ran out of the room. Obviously, I had to go down the center aisle where both sides of the aisle were kids pointing and laughing at me. It was as if I was watching a scene from the movie. And my mom turns to yell at me and she says, listen, they're not laughing at you. They're laughing with you. And I wanted to scream back, I'm not laughing. I am not laughing. So if you were to ask my mom, that would be a defining moment. That would be the moment where all my trust issues were birthed. She, if she were here this morning, she would be cringing in her seat. She hates that story because mom guilt and because she's the villain in that story. Um, but if she were here, I would also say, mom, I have healed. I have healed. While I can say it was memorable, it wasn't defining for me. And this is the way I determine if a moment is a defining moment or just a memory. It all goes with what happens after that moment. I have to ask myself this question. Did my life change after that experience? If it did, it's a defining moment. If it didn't, it's just a memory. 
Today, I want to share a defining moment from my life. But first, I want to highlight one from Scripture. This defining moment that we're going to camp in today happened in the life of King David. Now, do not tell the other Bible characters, but David is one of my favorites. Anybody love the story of King David? To me, he is so fascinating. His life is filled with these twists, turns, miracles, and mistakes. And I've studied his life over the years. And as I've studied it, I've seen this one moment that really defined everything else in his life. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, it's got to be the moment that he faced the giant Goliath. Most people who don't even have any really uh, Bible knowledge or maybe history in church, they can tell you um, the David and Goliath story. But it's not that moment that we're going to look at today. This moment actually unfolds before David ever stepped on the battleground to face the giant Goliath. This moment that we're going to be looking at today is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 4 through 13. The NLT version, if you are pulling it up on your Bible app. The NLT version. If you don't have it, no sweat, it's going to be on the screens. So here is what you need to know before we jump in to unpacking this moment that David had, David's defining moment. So what you need to know is right now in scripture, there is a king in Israel, and his name is Saul. Now, God chose Saul to be the king of Israel, but Saul wandered away from God. He had made consistent choices to keep on disobeying the Lord. And so God had made the choice to remove Saul as king, but to anoint another king. So right now, Saul is about to be removed and another king is about to be appointed. So God tells the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to the town of Bethlehem because there's a guy that is named Jesse and he lives there. Now, Jesse, he has a son that I have chosen to be the next king. So Samuel, the prophet, follows the instructions from God, and he goes. Now, Saul had kind of lost it at this moment. He was experiencing um, an attack of the mind, the heart. It was really, really bad and really, really dark. And so he was ultra paranoid as king and dangerous. So Samuel had to go under the guise that he was simply there in Bethlehem to make a sacrifice of worship. Because if Saul found out he was actually there to anoint a new king, it would be bad. So Samuel was going under the guise that I am here to worship, but Samuel's real mission was this, to find and anoint a king. And that is where our story picks up. So we are in verse four. Verse four says this, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. That's everybody calm down. That's the only reason I'm here. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and said and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. 
The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 9 says, next Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, listen, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field and he is watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We're not going to sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now this was a defining moment because that morning, David had woken up a shepherd boy, the youngest son of Jesse. But that night when he laid his head to rest, he was a king. He'd been called and anointed to lead a nation. And we can learn a lot from David's defining moment. So today we're going to highlight three truths that we can apply to our own lives. I don't know what it's like to be called and anointed to be a king, but I do know what it's like to have a plan for your life and to experience a moment from God that changes everything. Now, for me, this moment happened 20 years ago this summer. I was 15 years old, and I was at the last night of youth camp. And instead of ending our youth camp services, the week of services, like we normally do, which would be usually to come around the altars, to pray, to worship, um, they decided to do something different that year. What they decided to do was instead of uh, doing that, they had set up stations all along the campgrounds that were prayer stations. And they had groups of us go from station to station and pray about whatever that station's theme was. So the first stop on this prayer walk for us, for our group, was called Accept Your Assignment. Look at your neighbor say, Accept Your Assignment. So at this station, I'm sure you can figure out what we were supposed to do. We were encouraged to surrender our futures to God to be open to his plan for our lives. So that night, I found myself in the middle of the old softball fields at the Arkansas Assemblies of God campgrounds. And I remember looking up at the stars and I felt God speak to my heart. And I felt him tell me, I am calling you to be a youth pastor. This, though, was not what I was expecting. Um, I planned to be a teacher or a country music singer, but probably a teacher. So not only did it wreck my plans to move to Nashville, but 
It was something that at that moment, at 15, in 2003, I didn't even have a grid for. Because at that point, I didn't even know there were girl youth pastors. Um, Now, a a few of my friends felt called into youth ministry, and some of them were girls and some were guys. But a lot of my girlfriends felt called into youth ministry, but they felt called to um, be in youth ministry by, like, marrying a youth pastor and serving in that capacity. So as I was praying, I kept waiting for God to call me to be a youth pastor's wife. I was waiting for that. Um, But the wife part didn't come. And it still hasn't, but that is another sermon for another time. Um, So, but for a long time, I didn't quite know what to make of that moment. Um, I knew that I had heard from God. Anybody had, had an experience like this where like, you know what God told you, but you don't know what to do with it. And when you hear something from God, you can't unhear it. I think that's one reason why sometimes we step away from leaning into the voice of God because we're afraid of what we're going to hear. And we know that when we hear him say, quit that, this is the path that I have for you. You are so much better than that relationship. You are so much better than that stronghold. He knows that we can't unhear what he has to say. Sometimes we hear the voice of God and and we want to follow it though, but we just don't know what to do with it. And at 15, I was in that situation. I didn't know what to do next. And I imagine that is how David might have felt after Samuel had come and anointed that boy with a flask of olive oil. And as as he is smearing that oil off of his head to lay down to go to sleep, he had to be thinking, what is next. What is next? At that moment, there was no way for him to know that the journey from being called and anointed to be king and actually reigning as king over all of Israel would be 15 years. Man, when I study the life of David, I see though that 15 years wasn't wasted. Not only that, but God actually used the time before he was ever officially anointed as king. God used that time as a young shepherd boy to bring his heart close to the heart of God. I know there are people in this room who are feeling stuck in a what's next season. So maybe you feel overlooked and maybe you even feel forgotten by God. And if that's you today, our first truth is for you. This is it. Obscurity is an opportunity to worship and to war. Obscurity is an opportunity to worship and to war. Now, when Samuel showed up on the scene of David's life, he wasn't leading a bunch of groups of people. David wasn't the most popular family member. He wasn't the golden one that everyone just thought would be chosen, Verse 11 tells us that David was out in the field. He was with the sheep and the goats. What a job. Now, in that culture, shepherding was an honest and honorable profession, but it was not glamorous, nor was it the path of a future political leader. But that is exactly where God had placed David to train him for his future. In different moments in scripture, we can look and see where David as reigning king would refer back to that time he spent in the fields with the sheep and with the goats. We see David 
that when he stepped onto the battleground to face the giant Goliath, he had the confidence and he had the guts to do that because of his time spent as a shepherd boy, because he had to wrestle off wild animals from attacking his sheep and his goats. He was ready to step and face the giant Goliath. We see David as he worships and writes psalms and hymns to God refer back to his moment as a shepherd where he understood the heart of God is a loving father and is a loving shepherd. We see that David's time in obscurity was not wasted. It was training ground for the battleground. It was training ground for leading a nation. And I need you to hear me say that. Your waiting time doesn't have to be wasted either. It is your choice though. It is your choice. I mentioned that um, it was 15 years between David's call to be king and the start of his reign. Now, for me, it wasn't quite 15 years. It was seven years between I received my call to ministry, my call into youth ministry, and actually being hired to do ministry full-time. And those seven years, they were packed with some obscurity. They were packed with a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, um, some leaps of faith, some fearful tears um, as I just, I, I walked towards this calling that God had given me. Um, during seven years, though, God did a lot. He connected me to leaders who would confirm that calling on my life. He gave me opportunities to serve and to learn. I went to Bible school. I served in churches, uh, did an internship, graduated finally in May of 2010 with a degree in youth ministry. But the toughest part of that seven years took place between May of 2010 and November of 2010. May was when I graduated, and November 2010 was whenever I stepped into full-time ministry. Now, I'll never forget this moment that I had in those waiting months where I logged onto my computer. I did not have a job. The job that I had lined up um, didn't work out quite like we had hoped, and so I was just dangling in those months from May to November, and I, I logged onto my computer one day, and I'll never forget the headline that was on one of the news formats that I was on, and it said, class of 2010, no one needs you. <laughs> the economy had crashed. Anyone remember this? Um, and no one had any money to hire the class of 2010. And I sat there and saw that headline, and I, I did laugh because I, I thought to myself, enemy, you have just totally showed your hand. Like, I can't, I can't ignore, this has to be from you. This, this attack of discouragement, I was already discouraged, and to see that from like MSN News, whatever, um, it, it had to be from the enemy. And so uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, take away, though, all of the emotions I was having in these dangling months waiting for God to bring in my next. Have you ever been there? Have you ever lived a May to November season before where you're like, God, I followed you to this moment and then this is the thing that you have for me. But as I take a step out this way, are you going to place the ground beneath my feet? Are you going to show up for me? You, you know that David had to have remembered the moment that Samuel came to him so many times throughout that 15 years. You know he had to have been like, I wasn't crazy, right? Like, like a prophet came to me and he did anoint me with oil. Did I dream that? Like he, he had to ask some people like, I, this did happen, right? Because 15 years, 15 years went by between calling and reigning, 
calling and reigning. In that waiting time for me, um, between May and November, I took a job. I actually took a couple jobs. But the one that I'm going to tell you about was I took a job working at an elementary school. So any elementary school, teachers, administration, staff, parapros, let me see your hands. Like, wave it around. These are the real deal heroes, all right? I have been, I've been in the trenches with these people, all right? They are the ones keeping your children alive. So you pray over them, all right? Um, I served as a paraprofessional for the first grade uh, at Paragold School District. And so um, I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do for the foreseeable future. And one of my responsibilities was to stand uh, to recess duty. So what would happen is I would stand at the top of our playground. It kind of sloped down and there was a fence all around the playground. Thank God, because they do try to escape. Just know that. Um, I didn't lose one, nearly did, but I I did not lose him. Um, And so I would stand at the top of that playground and I would look and hold my breath and pray that nothing drastic or dramatic would happen during my recess duty. I had a lot of recess duties that I had to do. And so I remember standing there thinking, God, what are you doing with my life? I'm called to preach, but I'm standing on a playground. Anybody? Like, I'm called to do this, but I'm not here yet. And I don't see a path (laughs) to get from here to here. How does this happen? What I didn't see was that job at the elementary school was preparing me to manage large groups of minors. I didn't see that my time at the elementary school spent serving those sweet kids was preparing me to serve other groups of kids for the next 15 years. I didn't see that watching the way teachers communicated and educated these kids was preparing me to teach and educate kids and students just in a different way. Obscurity is an opportunity, and we miss it if we're not looking out for it. Obscurity is an opportunity. It's not a season to be wasted or to be wished away. God has been convicting me about standing in the present moment, not wishing my season away. There is something to be gained from every season the Lord takes us through. Surrendered into the hands of God, these seasons can be our greatest times of preparation. One of the best books I have read and reread throughout these seasons where I feel like, what is next? God, what are you doing? Is a book called Anonymous by Alicia Britt-Sholey. She writes this in that book. In moments when I am tempted to treat this gift called time as though it were some unfortunate filler, I hear a gentle whisper from God in my soul. Child, I am the God who wastes no man's time. To me, Every course in your life is main. With God, opportunity, with God, obscurity isn't an appetizer, just holding you over for what he's really got planned. These seasons matter just as much, if not more, than the other seasons. David's defining moment also teaches me this, number two, qualification comes from the creator, not the creation. Qualification comes from the creator, not the creation. One of the cringiest moments you can have in life is being picked last for a team. This happened a lot to me um, in sports because I am not good. You just need to know that. I have a lot of spirit and very little skill. Um, 
So I can scream really loud for the team that I'm rooting for, and, um, and I do that best on the sidelines. So I know what it's like to be standing with my back up against a gym wall and like holding my breath, praying for the other people around me to have worse athletic skills than I do and to just be selected. I'll never forget, I had to take an athletic credit in college. And so I chose what I thought would be the easiest. I chose racquetball. Um, and I was one of the, the lowest ranking skilled players in the class, but to win or to, to, to get a B or an A in the class, I had to win one match. That's all that my coach wanted from me. Um, I had a partner, her name was Nicole, and she was really bad too. And we played against each other often um, when, during practice, but when it really mattered, I knew that I was going to have to take her down. So we bonded, ha ha ha, over being really bad. But what she didn't know was I got a private tutor on the side. And I said, I need you to teach me how to play racquetball. And we need Nicole not to know because I got to beat her in class. So I did, and I beat her. So um, here's the deal. I told you that story to tell you we all make mistakes. That wasn't right. And Nicole, if you're watching, I'm really sorry. Um, but I also graduated with honors. So anyway... Um, I need you to understand that that's a cringy moment. So if you are ever a team captain, just do us a favor and, and pick the bad ones first, all right? Just throw them a curveball. Um, David knew what it was like to be picked last. Did you catch that when the prophet Samuel asked Jesse to gather his sons, Jesse did not even bother to bring David inside the home. Jesse David's own father disqualified his youngest son from this very big moment for their family. But God didn't need Jesse's permission to pick David. God chose David all by himself. He was man's last pick, literally, but he was God's first. And maybe you know what it's like for a parent or a coach or a leader to overlook you or to choose someone else for what you feel called to do. And that can be, church, a defining moment of rejection. And in the enemy's hands, that is exactly what it will remain. You know that the enemy had to use that moment and play that moment in David's mind over and over again to convince him that he was not qualified to be king. Because if David's own father couldn't see that for him, then how in the world would the people of Israel see him as king? But God takes this moment to show us that he has a different way to choose. In verse 7, God shares with Samuel that man chooses based on what he sees, but God, he chooses based on what is inside of our hearts. And only our creator can know that. When God created David, he created him to be a king. And when God created you, he created you to fill a specific calling in his kingdom. That does not change based on what your parents did or didn't say, how you feel or how you don't feel, or what mistakes or what triumphs you have made. Our calling does not disappear whenever we feel like a failure. You need to hear me say that. I also need you to hear me say it doesn't get stronger when we're checking all the boxes. It just is. It just is. It's given by our creator and only he has the power to disqualify us or qualify us. I had to get real comfortable with this truth real quick 
Because when I stepped into ministry as this single 22-year-old female, people had some opinions and strong feelings about that. And I'm not here to argue with you or justify the theology of how God can use singles like Jesus and Paul, um, or women like Ruth and Deborah and Lydia and Phoebe and Mary, or young people like King David and King Josiah and also Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm not here to argue the theology of that. That's another conversation for another time. If you happen to hold opinions that disagree with that, listen, just know I love you and I bless you. I'm not here to have that discussion today. I am sharing this. The reason I'm even sharing this with you is because I know there are people in this room who feel that God has called them to something, but they are also clutching this list of reasons why they can't pursue that calling. And for David, that list looked like this. I'm the last kid. First sons always get everything in this culture. I'm the last kid. I am a shepherd. I smell like a sheep. I am overlooked by my dad. He did not even think to call me in the house. The one moment I'll never let my dad live down is the moment that he forgot to pray over me in our family's Christmas blessing prayer. He said, God bless this person in our family. Oh, God, use this person. This year is going to be great. In Jesus' name, amen. And my eyes were open like, really, dad? At, the po- at that point, I was the youngest kid, you know, so you have that victim mentality. Really? You forgot me? Really? Now I'm a middle child, and it's really strong. Um, but I like to tease him with that. But, but like David really had that happen. He had the last kid syndrome, the simple shepherd boy experience, and he was overlooked by his dad. Can I say this? God is not limited by that list for him or your list for you. The list of reasons why you can't won't stop God from giving you the opportunity to play your part in his kingdom. Please hear me say the opportunity. He's not going to make you. He's not going to make you, but he will give you the moment to say yes. Please understand that the one who calls you is the one who qualifies you. The one that sees the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy in your heart is also the one that handpicked you to play a part in his kingdom, in this world, for his glory. Finally, Megan, you can go ahead and come and make me sound spiritual. (laughs) Something's got to do it. Finally, this last moment as we're getting ready to wrap up. David's defining moment teaches me something about my own life, and I wonder if it speaks to yours as well. Our Savior is stronger than our sin and our struggles. Thank God he is. Our Savior is stronger than our sin and our struggles. When I think about David's life and when I think about my own Verse 13 hits me. It makes me emotional. Verse 13 says this. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took this flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And I want you to lean into this last part. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. From that day on. Now, most of us in here know David's story. We know that he went on to become like one of the greatest kings of Israel. But we also know that he made some really grave mistakes along the way. 
These mistakes include murder, pain, adultery, disobedience, pride, and the list goes on and on and on. Not only did he have that list of sins, he faced some struggles. He lost children. He lost friends. People he led betrayed him. People he loved abandoned him. He was hated by a lot of people. He was envied by others, rejected by his family. David had his sin, but he had his struggles too. But God's spirit never left. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Even when he was messing up. Even when he felt far from God in the valley of the shadow of death. Even when he was facing a giant on a field. And even when he was sitting on a throne. The, the spirit of God came powerfully upon David from that day on. Man, if you've surrendered your life to God, I need you to understand that you have a from that day on. That's your story too. Y'all, we all have a story of sin and struggle. Um, but we have a story of God's spirit never leading us too. I wish I could have known this better when I stepped into ministry um, because had I known had I believed this truth, it would have saved me a lot of mental anguish, a lot of enemy attack. The enemy for the first probably five years of me being in ministry just would target me with memories of sins from my past and insecurities about the struggles I faced in my present. Anybody been there? At one point, I remember the enemy had me so convinced that I just was not enough. I just was not good enough to love teenagers, to lead them, to um, serve at a church um, because, because of sin in my past, because of struggles. And I remember the night it got so bad that the Lord gave me a divine moment where he had some leaders see my struggle and pull me into their home and sit me down and speak some truth into my mind. And I'm going to do that with you right now. I need you to hear me say everybody has a story marked with sin and struggle. Everybody. The sins and the struggles, they all look different for us but the truth remains the same. We all begin as broken people. We do. And our brokenness leads us down destructive and dangerous paths. So God sent Jesus to save us from hell. Jesus made a perfect sacrifice for our sins. But Jesus doesn't just save us from hell. He also saves us every time we get trapped in lies that limit us. And that is what I needed to hear the night that I was so tormented by the enemy that I was ready to walk away from ministry. I was so weak and worn down from listening to the lies of the enemy in this mind that I was ready to give 
up. What I needed to hear that night is something I'm going to share with you. I needed to hear that Jesus' blood is enough to cover my sin and to cover my struggles, to give me the strength that I need to face enemy attack that does not stop. We just get stronger. I needed to hear that when I mess up, God's spirit doesn't leave me. That when I repent, God's forgiveness is there to meet me every single time. I needed to hear that God loves me too much to let sin be a part of my story. That's why he convicts me and he corrects me when I do get off course. It's because it's from a place of mercy. We serve such a good God. One that doesn't need us, church, but he chooses us. As messy as we are, God wants to co-labor with you and with I to bring hope to broken people. What a mission. What a mission. I want you to know that, but I need you to understand your enemy knows that too. That's why he's fighting you so hard. He wants to keep you pressed down by the lies that limit us from saying yes to whatever God is calling us to in this season. Your yes can start small. It can start yes. It can start by saying yes to serving at an event or by attending a small group or by walking across the room to say hello to someone new in our church. And I've seen something that happens with our yes with God. The more we say it, the stronger we get and our faith muscles build. And before we know it, we're standing on a ground facing a giant and defeating him. I believe we've got people in this room that want to say yes, but feel limited by the lies that the enemy has tormented you with. You're not enough. You're the last pick. No one wants you. You've been rejected here. They'll reject you again. All of the junk that he likes to feed into our minds, we've let that limit us from what God wants to do when we say yes. And I was there that night 10 years ago nearly walking away from the call that God had on my life. I just wanted a job, just to give God, give me a normal job. (laughs) But it was that night that became a defining moment for me as well, because I chose that night to stop listening to the lies. You still hear them, but you know there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? And all the women in the room said, amen. Because we either love or live with a dude. And um, you either have a husband, a brother, an uncle, a boy dog. They might hear you, but man, listening is hard sometimes. And we can do that to the enemy. We will hear it, but we don't have to listen to it and then believe it. And that night when I sat with some leaders who so graciously poured truth into these broken places in my mind and my heart, I had a choice. They couldn't keep doing that. You understand that, right? They couldn't, I, they couldn't be my go-to and my call every time I, I wanted to believe a lie of the enemy. I had to get this right, and my dependence had to come on Jesus, and I had to learn, I got to start believing him. If I can believe him for my salvation, then I can believe him for everything else that follows. So I had to start Believing what God says about me. How do we do that? Um, For me, it looked like getting an orange journal and writing down every lie that I believed about my life and then finding truth in God's word to demolish the lie of that enemy. 
had to fight the enemy with something that was much stronger than him. And it wasn't an inspirational quote I saw on Instagram, and it wasn't coffee with my best friend. It was the word of God that is sharper than any sword that the enemy has ever experienced. And so I had to get strong in the word. I had to get strong in running to Jesus, but also being open about my struggles to other people. I had to get strong in reaching out for prayer when I wanted to give up, when I wanted to walk away. And all of that journey led me to doing what I get to do, which is pouring into, gosh, I knew, man, I knew I was going to cry at my first message I had to preach. It led me to this moment where I get the opportunity and privilege to pour into the next generation. I would have missed seeing teenagers and kids fall in love with Jesus. I would have missed seeing kids step into ministry, having their own babies, raising their own children. This morning I stood worshiping and I listened to two girls that I love so dearly and who I got to be a part of their journey growing up in their faith. And I heard them singing to God. That makes all of it worth it. I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you because of the enemy. He really does come to still, to kill and destroy. But thank God we serve a savior that comes to bring life and life abundantly. And listening to the lies of the enemy is not part of that life. So I'm here today to pray over some minds that need to be set free from the lies of the enemy. I just believe that the power of God is here to set free, man, some stuff we've believed for too long, for too long. We've got a few minutes. I want you to close your eyes with me. Um, pray that this moment can be a defining moment for somebody in this room who's listened and lived in lies that um, have limited you and stopped you from, gosh, the future that God has for you. I just believe that enough's enough, and today we can experience freedom. I really believe that. Um... I believe that there's some minds in this room that need to experience freedom from rejection, freedom from insecurity, freedom from darkness, freedom from, God, freedom from discouragement and disappointment. I just believe there's, there's freedom in this place. I pray right now, Lord, that your power would be so real. I know it's real, but God, sometimes we just need to experience it, feel it. God, I pray that for every mind in this room that needs this moment, this defining moment. God, where we say we lay down lies of the enemy and we say yes to believing you. Again, maybe we used to believe you, but we've had enough life lived and enough mistakes made and enough oh, stuff that have gotten us off track, but we want to believe you again. Maybe it's for the first time, like we just need to believe you. We've maybe always been trapped in lies, but this is a moment where we're saying, God, I, I want to believe you more than I want to believe the enemy.
I just believe there's people in here that need that freedom. You say, I need that freedom today. I want today to be the day that I believe the truth about what God says about me. I want to be the person that God says I am. And I want to believe that I'm that person that God says I am. And I, I want to be free from every lie of the enemy. Would you just lift your hand? We're going to pray over every hand. Gosh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We receive this prayer. God, I believe that the freedom of your spirit is in this room. I believe that you are resetting minds today. God, that where we have listened to the lies of the enemy about sin and struggle in our life, about our past or failures, or even about our present and our insecurity, God, where we've listened, I pray that you would just remove that lie from its root, God. Lord, and that we would hear the truth. I pray spiritual ears open right now, that we would hear the truth of what you say about us, God, that we are a people that have been called, set apart, and chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and restored in Jesus' name, that we are not limited by the list of the enemy, God, but we are set up because you have hand-chosen us, God, to be people of your kingdom. God, we thank you right now, Lord, that we are raising up into our our anointing and our authority and to our calling, God, that we will not sit on the sidelines and watch other people defeat giants, God, but we will be people who say yes to you, God, even if it starts small, Lord, we believe our yes will build, God, and that we will be people, Father, that see giants fall and people led to you because of the freedom that you've brought in this room today, Father. We love you so much, God, for who you are, and for what you have done. Would you do this with me? Would you stand right now, wherever you're at? Would you stand and would you lift your hands? And would you end this time that we have had in God's presence, would you end this time saying, I'm gonna be a person that is not limited by any lies or any list, God. I'm gonna be a person that says yes even if it takes a long time, that says yes, even if I don't see the next step, that says yes, even whenever I feel forgotten, that says yes, even when I feel disqualified, I am going to be a person that says yes, God. Lord, you see your people right now in this moment. God, you see us say yes to you, Lord no longer bound by lies or limitations of the enemy, Father. I believe today people are stepping in to a fresh season of their calling, a fresh season of a new mindset. It's a kingdom mindset. And I need somebody to hear me say, you have the mind of Christ. That is what scripture tells us. It is not the mind of your mom. It is not the mind of a mindset that has been tearing you down for years and even decades. You have the mind of Christ. And whenever you come into the family of God, guess what? You belong to the family of God. So that means you have his genetics, you have his mind, you have his freedom, and you have his power. 
We thank you, Jesus, that we walk in that, God. Now I pray a blessing over my church family. I pray as they start school this week. I pray as they step into their jobs. I pray as they step into their homes. I pray as they minister to their families and their neighborhoods and their communities, God, and their employees and their employers, God. I pray we would be people that say yes. People unlimited, God people walking in the fullness of your calling for our life. God, I bless my church, God. I'm thankful for them, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and all that you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Thank you so much for being a part of our worship experience today. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you're ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.